today is as tragic as it has ever been. Even as we stood in uh, remembrance, the guns of war in our world have increased. Today, fathers and sons go and do not come back. Today, widows will be made. Civilians will lose their lives and communities will have their towns destroyed today, this day, every day in our world. What for? Sometimes for a piece of land, sometimes because of a religious divide, sometimes because of cultural hatred, sometimes because of the quest for power. Other times we might feel more nobly because a madman is on the loose and there are rights to defend, but the pain, the loss, the grief is still the same. And for all the glossy books and all the nostalgic talk and all the blockbuster films, maybe not forget what it's really like. And surely there is no one here that gathered this morning who doesn't long for peace. We all long for peace. When boys, barely men, lose their lives in far-flung places, we long for peace. And when young boys and girls uh, believe it necessary to strap explosives to their bodies, in order to gain a quicker route into paradise, we long for peace. And when older men and women talk at length about the war that they knew and experienced, repeating the same stories over and over, too many times to count, because the trauma of it still rises every day. All that they saw and felt and still feel, we long for peace, don't we? We long for a different world. And if you say to children, what what do you long for most? If 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 God could do one big thing, what would you ask him to do? If you've got a graffiti wall out, and we do it sometimes at youth camp or children's weekends, all the time they will say the same thing. We want peace in our world. Peace between nations, that's what they mean. Peace, the absence of war. But so often, more than that, more children than ever are leaving home before they're 16 because they did not find the peace there that they were looking for. When neighbours are at war and families are divided and communities are hostile, we long for peace. Yet we know that all of that stuff is not actually the real issue. War is not the problem in our world. It's only a symptom. When nations fight and communities divide and families crumble and relationships split, it appears that those things are the fundamental problem with our world. And we applaud, rightly so, every effort to help nations live at peace. And we applaud every effort made to strengthen family life and marriage and so on. We applaud every effort to help people who are divided to come together. But it's not the real problem. If you've got a Bible with you, if you've got the Bible in front of the pew, maybe you'd like to just grab hold of it with me and turn to page 1182. 1182. And you've got the letter there to the Colossians, chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read in just a moment verse 21 of Colossians 1. You'll remember from the Gospels that Jesus said, we, Christian people, those in Christ, are now his friends. 
Jesus took great pleasure in saying that in Christ we have become his friends. But that's not always the way it's been. That's not the whole story. Because before we were his friends, Paul described what we were like, verse 21. Once you and me, once we were alienated from God and were enemies in our minds to him because of our evil behavior. Once we were alienated. Now, if we've become his friends, there still remains a world in alienation from God. All these things that we talk about today, this world so full of pain and so tragic, are symptoms of a planet that is living in alienation from God. That's the problem. The problem is the one person, the one ingredient, but the one person, the one person who could have held it all together, the one person who would have been and was designed to be at the center of every single thing we did and knew, God, is now alienated from us. And everywhere you look, you get glimpses of how it could have been how it should have been, as well as horrific windows on how it actually is. Everywhere you look, you get glimpses of glory and sights of utter devastation. I can go and walk up on the heath not far from where we live. I think I've told you this before. It's it's an image that sticks in my mind. It's profound for me. And it can be a lovely autumn day like some of the ones that we've had. And the, and the sky can be clear and the sun can be up and the leaves can be brown and it's really good to be alive. And you're out there in the fresh air and all your inner guts are getting cleared out with this oxygen. And yes, it's a glimpse of how God made this world to be. The glory of it, the wonder of it, the beauty of it, the carefreeness of it as we kick leaves together and perhaps uh, uh, whatever we do. But then dominating the heath, is the four or five stories, maybe six stories, of Heathrow Hospital. And here I am in a little utopia, a little glorious moment of paradise, a little window on how life was meant to be, suddenly at peace with myself, at peace with God, in this beautiful place, knowing that only yards away, people are dying incredibly early. People are weeping in that place with tremendous pain, great disappointment, great loss of hope, great burdens people are carrying just yards away. The glory and the devastation. How it was meant to be and how it is side by side. On Friday, if you gathered in one of the cemeteries in Ipswich, it was a glorious day. The glory of it but to stand by the graves of countless young men, boys really, who've lost their lives. The the glory and the utter devastation. How it was meant to be and yet how it is. The best and the worst of humanity side by side. The Bible helps us make sense of this. How has it got like this? How can we get glimpses of such greatness and such depravity, sometimes all within the same person or all within the same situation? I think I've shared this with you before. I I certainly shared it somewhere publicly. uh, And it struck me again this time because we went back to Longleat, the most unlikely place to get a revelation from God. Uh, uh, But there uh, we went into a museum that had some of Adolf Hitler's paintings. 
And I was prepared for it this time, but last time I thought, well, what are these paintings going to be like? They're going to be dark and sinister and depraved. But they weren't. I was shocked. They were bright and cheery and open and full of light and life. Such contrast in one man. The glimpses of glory made in the image of God, yet the utter depravity of it all side by side. The Bible helps us make sense. You were alienated from God. That's not how it was meant to be. The Bible helps us make sense that we as uh, human beings were made as the crown of his great creation. But then we said, okay, we'll do it without you, God. The one person that holds it all together. The one person who could make sense of it. The one person who makes sense of your life and mine. We said, okay, we'll do it without you. You can read all about that in the first few chapters of the Bible. Very simple is the message. God created this world with great glory and human beings said, okay, we'll do it by ourselves. Thank you ever so much. And catastrophically, the world began to fail, to fall apart. But hold on to what it was meant to be like for a moment because it gives you a glimpse of God. At the end of making it all with human beings as the crown of glory, the Bible says that it was so good. It was so good. It was so good. No one mourned the loss of a loved one. No one. No one dreaded the noise of air raid sirens. No one huddled in trenches or shelters till dawn. No child struggled to hold the Kalashnikov. No terrorists plotted massacres of the innocent. No communities grew up hating those who were different. Every relationship was engaging and supporting, brought great joy to all. Every, even work was pleasure and childbirth was a breeze. Try telling my sister, I got a niece on Friday. Thank you. This was a world that God made where you could laugh without knowing how to cry. Where you loved without the knowledge of how much it could hurt. So good, the world God made. I want that world, don't you? I want God's world back. The world that was so good with God at the middle making sense of it all. Every moment of goodness, every relationship that worked, every joy you could know, a skip in your step. I want that world back. But it went so terribly, catastrophically wrong. And the goodness that we still see glimpses of are what remains of the world God intended. Yet now marred by such a terrible shadow. We thought God didn't matter anymore. We thought we could do it by ourselves. We were grateful for a good start maybe, but thought we could continue without him. And we pushed God away and we ignored his ways and the world that was fell away. And people started to die. That was never how God made this world to be. People started to die. People started not to get on. That was never how God had made this world to be. In fact, the very first thing, the very next thing the Bible describes in this world just falling apart was Cain and Abel. Two brothers that couldn't get on, so they killed one another. Personal rivalry that soon would escalate into family rivalry and then into community rivalry. And before you knew it, nations were waging war against nations and it has been always thus. Great was the fall. 
resources got disturbed so that people grow, go old, growing hungry. And the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And work was hard and frustrating and sickness so out of control. A shadow fell across this world from which we have never escaped. It's the darkness that we know only too well. It had come to stay. I want God's world back. I want the world I was meant to enjoy. I want the life that I was meant to live. I want it back. And that's what all those uh, readings, thank you Barbara, in Hebrews were, were all about. It were people who were living by faith, reaching for a life that was beyond theirs, and saying in the midst of it, hey, this is not it. This is not, how, this is not the life God has for me. I'm reaching for a better, a different country, a heavenly one. This is not it. Not the end of the story. They saw clearer and clearer as the years rolled by that they were aliens and strangers where they were, clinging on to something else, to something more. And all these people, it says, were still living by faith when they died. Verse 13 of Hebrews 11. They did not receive the things promised. They saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And if they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. No, they weren't thinking of the country they had left. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has, for he has prepared a city for them. This world is as it is because we have created a world without God. Our alienation from him lies at the very heart, the guts of the human problem. And we all long to get back. How many times, I wonder, did Adam and Eve pound the gates of the Garden of Eden longing to get back, wishing with all their heart that they could have had their time again, regretting with all their being their stupidity, their arrogance, their stubbornness and their pride as they toiled in land that was hard and barren, how they must have longed to get back. As they struggled to get on with each other, how they must have longed to get back. As they watched their sons kill each other, how they must have longed to get back. I glimpse sometimes a little bit of how they felt. That longing to get back. But now people at war with God and at war with God, at war with each other. Nation against nation, nation against itself. Community against community. Community against itself. Right the way down to people against people. And sometimes the greatest war is the war within ourselves. We've left behind a world called Eden and exchanged it for a world such as this. But God wants us back. I thought that was good. Do you know? If I'd have been God, I wouldn't have been sure if I'd want you back. Do you understand that in the nicest possible way? <laughs> but God wants us back. And so if you've still got Colossians 1 open, uh, uh, and I haven't, so um, slap my wrist. Colossians uh, 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 1, page 1182. And uh, uh, just the verse before, 
Let's start at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. That's what he's talking about. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things. He wants us back. He wants the alienation fixed, restored. And through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Many people have shouted and screamed at God for remaining passive and indifferent to the tragedy of this world. What does God know? What does he care? Where is God in this world of pain and suffering? Maybe you've cried that many times yourself. Don't worry about that. God's big enough for our anger and our frustration and our misunderstanding. God can take all of that. Shout at him. He would prefer you to shout at him than to shout at somebody else. Cry before him. Weep before him. He's big enough to cope with the depth of our emotion. But then come with me. Come with me. On a journey outside a city that knew much about war and suffering. A city that knew much about injustice and pain. And come and see there on a cross, God suffering, our suffering, God carrying our pain, God knowing our guilt. And look into the eyes of a Saviour who died and understand that whatever else God has done, He has not stood by indifferent to the brokenness of our world. Here is love vast as the ocean. He came kiss this guilty world with love. That's why the cross will always be the Christian symbol. For in that moment, ultimately and forever, God identified with this broken world. And in his death so opens up the possibility of Eden once more. And so there is a real choice for us as Christian people, I think. Part of me, do you know, just wants to sit tight and hang on until I see God face to face. Do you ever feel like that? I'm going to sit tight, I'm going to hang on, and one day I'll see him and I'll be like him. When I stand in glory, there I'll see his face. There I'll serve my king forever in that holy place. Wow. But more. Jesus says, when you pray, pray, Father God, your will be done, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Are we to wait for heaven at some future date, which is, by the way, absolutely certain and secure in Christ, so it's, it's worth the wait. Don't mind waiting. This will be just a twinkling moment for an eternity with him. Don't mind the wait. Are we to wait? Is that what the Bible leaves with us? Sit tight, chaps. Hang on. One day Jesus will come again. Hallelujah. No. 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 Quite the opposite. 
The charge on your life and mine is to pray, Lord God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, through my family, through my community, through my church, your kingdom come so that it might be on earth as it is already in heaven. Now there's a thought. That somehow, in God's kingdom purpose for my life, is the possibility, the opportunity, not just to wait till I get to heaven, but somehow to reach for heaven and to bring it back to earth. We could do with some of that, couldn't we? A little glimpse, a greater glimpse from glory into glory, grabbing more of it and more of it in our lives and bringing it back to earth. We We don't need to wait to heaven, but begin to live in that experience now. No one did that better than Jesus, of course, who came from heaven. Such that Jesus began his ministry and he said, hey, there's good news, I'm here, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is near. Thank you. When Jesus walked on the earth, he had, if you like, the cheek, the audacity to say that if you hang around him, you will begin to experience the life of heaven. And then at the end of uh, John's Gospel, after Jesus had lived in a way that helped people touch and see heaven, not just something that they would arrive to in the future, but something to experience here and now, John called that eternal life. Jesus said, now as the Father has sent me, now you go. As the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. Sending you to do what? To do what Jesus had started doing, which was to bring heaven to earth. I don't know about you, but I would have thought that is a worthwhile thing to do. And whilst we stand rightly in remembrance today, and we pray for a world that is broken and hurting, there is a responsibility, I think, on my life and on yours, to somehow be those that reach for heaven and bring it back into earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. How do you do that? Well, Jesus did it perfectly. And we bring heaven to earth by being like Jesus. And we have a word, don't we, in our church vocabulary for becoming like Jesus. It begins with M. Someone got that word on their lips? Hello? Thank you. Maturity. We say we're about two things. We're about winning lost people, mission, and we're about maturity, becoming like Jesus. Hey, if this church was full of people like Jesus, it would be more like heaven, wouldn't it? Would it? And if this people that were more like Jesus went out into shops and offices and factories and streets and homes and communities and to the ends of the earth, wouldn't those places be a little bit more like heaven? We're called to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we bring heaven to earth? We do it like Jesus did, by being like him and by being about the Father's business. So I'm asking you this morning, it's the only question now for this morning, will you take your maturity in Christ seriously this Remembrance Sunday? Because that's the opportunity that we have, the gift that we have to bring heaven to earth. 
And in your small groups this week, if you look at the small group material and the leaders are probably looking at it and wondering, uh, they're thinking, crikey, he's gone well off piste. What on earth are we going to do in our groups on Tuesday or Wednesday? This is what we're going to do in our groups on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. We're going to think about how serious we're going to take this task of maturity. And the books will help us with that. And most of that material we covered yesterday anyway. But that's the opportunity that we have to bring something of heaven to earth. Or we can sit back, hold on tight, and one day we'll get there. And we will. And we will. Or we can reach. For like those people who live by faith, reaching for a heavenly kingdom, they, they, they know this is not their home, but they can bring something of that home to where they were living there and now. And they did. And God was powerfully at work in their lives, if you know their stories. And heaven was gate-crashing its way into earth all of the time. And in no greater way did heaven gate-crash into earth than in the life of Jesus. And Jesus says, go. As the Father sent me, now you go, do the same thing. Allow heaven to gate crash into your world. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we need to grow up. And there's absolutely no one, absolutely no one that can stop you becoming fully mature in Christ. Except you. There's no one that can stop me becoming fully mature in Christ except me. And as Christmas approaches and we remember how God gatecrushed our world, as we stand and remember, as we pray, O oh God, to bring your light to the darkness of this world, may we never forget that in Christ we can bring heaven to earth. Let's pray.